Okay, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and I am delighted to be back with you tonight for our, I think, 22nd, I've kind of lost track, not going to pretend, I think 22nd session on the Council of Elrond. Uh, so, um, plenty, um, plenty still left to do. Uh, tonight we're getting to an important transitional moment, uh, in the council when, uh, uh, well, it's actually, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of interesting, not only because it's a transition to Gandalf's part of the meeting, uh, but it's also interesting because we're coming to a place where we're going to lapse out of the close uh, attention. So I remember there was a, a time at the beginning when we were just getting a kind of a summary of things, right? Like lots of people talked about lots of things and whatever, right? And then we got to Elrond's story. Um, and uh, And then, of course, we've been doing full speeches and hearing everything as it happens for a while. This is going to be now another portion of the meeting where we're just going to get a summary of a bunch of things that are kind of going on. Um, so uh, that's where we're going to start here tonight. And the investigations that are being done by folks, that is like people querying things. And I think it's important to remember, of course, some of the observations we were making about Boromir, especially in those places where Boromir seemed to be kind of pushing back against uh, Aragorn and uh, Elrond and stuff, and I think that we need to keep these uh, sort of next bits in mind uh, about um, about the, the, the question. Valamoinen, you're absolutely right that uh, our passages today will be fraught uh, with summary. That is absolutely correct. Um, so anyway, all right, so let's uh, jump into it. So one quick thing, however, uh, before we start, just to remind you uh, that uh, our Signum Path registration is open. If you go to path.signumuniversity.org, uh, you'll be able to see our path, Signum Path page. I've and, you know, been announcing that uh, for a little while now, and I talked about it a good deal last week. I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot again, but I definitely wanted to commend that to you. You can look up Signum Path, just P-A-T-H. Um, uh, you can search us on Google. You can find us on Facebook or on LinkedIn as well. Uh, and you can get a direct link to our site uh, and look at our upcoming courses. Registration is open. Uh, and uh, that's been really exciting. So, yes, there it is in Mubot there for those of you uh, who are in Twitch. Uh, so just wanted to commend that to you. We have our very first classes being offered here in June, uh, but we are, of course, offering them uh, monthly moving forward. You can see right now on our uh, website is the schedule for the courses being offered in June, July, and August, uh, and then we will uh, we will repeat them from there. Thank you, Druid's Fire, for pasting the link there into the Discord chat as well. That's very helpful. So anyway, uh, really... Um, Really excited about the PATH program. I uh, have had a bunch of good conversations with folks about PATH, uh, and I uh, look forward to uh, seeing that program move forward. There's a, a lot of opportunities here, I think. Uh, I am excited for Signum to get a chance to, uh, to be a help to a lot of people, uh, and I think a lot of people are really going to enjoy uh, these classes and really benefit from them in their careers moving forward. So, all right. Let us jump back into the text, therefore. So last week, we talked about casting spells, as I saw several of you remembering, of course, in the, uh, in, in the discussion room here before class. Um, but uh, we, of course, were also talking about Bilbo's apologies for telling the true story. Um, so now we get into the summary bit, right? 
To some there, Bilbo's tale was wholly new, and they listened with amazement while the old hobbit, actually not at all displeased, recounted his adventure with Gollum at full length. He did not omit a single riddle. He would have given also an account of his party and disappearance from the Shire if he had been allowed, but Elrond raised his hand. Well told, my friend, he said, but that is enough at this time. For the moment it suffices to know that the ring passed to Frodo, your heir. Let him now speak. All right. So, um, so what do we notice here, right? To some there, Bilbo's tale was wholly new, and they listened with amazement, while the old hobbit actually not at all displeased. The actually not at all displeased, of course, confirms fairly clearly uh, that uh, both you know, any sort of element of complaining in Bilbo's own tone, as well as the sort of teasing in Elrond's uh, own reply to him, are clearly banter, right? Are clearly hobbitry, uh, as we have noticed uh, before. Um, uh, So we see him being not at all displeased. And then, of course, the narrator seems to expand on that just a little bit, right? Recounted his adventure with Gollum at full length. He did not omit a single riddle. That sentence, that very simple, straightforward sentence, right, uh, seems, well, kind of deadpan, if you see what I mean, right? He did not omit a single riddle. Um, Bilbo, yes, that's not really necessary, right? I mean, we think about this, presumably, the, like, evidentiary... uh, value of Bilbo's story is just the fact that to, it's useful, presumably, uh, to learn some about Gollum, right? Who he was and how he got there, maybe. But Bilbo can't really tell that, nor can you draw very firm conclusions from that just from listening uh, to to the riddle game. Um, but, um, but yeah, Tony, it would take like an hour to tell the full story. You're absolutely right. Even assuming he gives a very cursory um, version of the entire rest of his adventure, right? Um, If he tells the entire riddle game story, uh, not omitting a single riddle, then yeah, there's, um, um, that's going to take a while. Um, So, yeah, yeah. Nathan says the fact that Bilbo told the riddles is great. Imagining old elves listening to those riddles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, yeah. No, it does definitely take a while. Um, He would have given also an account of his party and disappearance from the Shire if he had been allowed, but Elrond raised his hand. Um, Now, why do you think? I mean... It may be enough, it may simply be, that Elrond has stopped Bilbo from continuing to tell the full story of his party and disappearance, because Bilbo is being self-indulgent, right? These are the parts of the story, you know, the two parts of the story about his ring um, that are most important, that he is clearly, you know, that he is prompting to tell, is that... Uh, that he's being prompted to tell, I should say, uh, is how he got the ring and how he got rid of it, right? Um, So he's telling those two things. He tells the first in great detail, 
and he's stopped from telling the second one. It is certainly possible, Tessa, that everybody's bored. It's also possible, Chris, that Elrond is also hungry and, and looking forward to lunch sooner rather than later. Um, but um, but I, I, I wonder, here's, here's, um, here's why I ask that. Um, is there any chance that Elrond is wanting to... Okay, so, like, of the two, for instance. Here's what I'm trying to get at. The Riddle Game and The Departure. Of the two, if I were trying to show someone, if I were trying to explain to a room of people like this, right, what is this ring about? How does this ring act, right? Um, If I'm trying to show what this ring is and what it does. Actually, what happened to Bilbo at the end is in my mind like four times more interesting and important than what happened to Bilbo at the beginning, right? There are some things that can be gleaned, of course, from it, especially if you can learn some stuff about Gollum uh, and maybe draw some conclusions about how he got into the state that he was. But look, that's not obvious, right? So not obvious that Gandalf himself... You know, Gandalf and Elrond themselves, with not only having heard the whole story, but having years and decades to think about it, um, didn't come to the right conclusion right away. And it was only when Gandalf finally found Gollum and interrogated him uh, that he was able to put together the story. So it's not like from Bilbo's tale you can get the whole story of Gollum, and from the story of Gollum you can tell, okay, yeah, this is totally the Great Ring, right? Um, so, but whereas the second story, the story of Bilbo's departure and what the strange fit that came over Bilbo, how hard it was for him to get rid of the ring, um, that would have taken less time to tell to begin with. But secondly, in my mind, it seems a good deal more revealing and it seemed, I don't think that that's just me either. Right. Uh, Gandalf himself admitted to Frodo back in chapter two that, well, chapter two of book one, that it was that moment. It was Bilbo's departure that really tipped Gandalf off. Right. And uh, made him to suspect the true identity of the ring. Um, He was operating under the premise that it was some other ring. Right. Um, Until that moment. It was when he saw what it did to Bilbo. That he was like, whoa, dude, you know, there's got to be some other explanation of this. And so therefore, again, I would say, um, I would say that um, it's at the very least, it would seem to me that what Bilbo experienced when he gave the ring away is at least as valuable as evidence of, of the identity of this ring, at least as valuable as the riddle game itself. Right um, now, I, I do agree, Fourth Dauntless, that seeing what happened to Gollum gives an idea of how thoroughly the ring might ruin someone. But we're not getting that, or rather, they're not getting that. We got that, right? Gandalf told Frodo that, and we heard Gandalf tell Frodo that. But the Council isn't learning that, right? Not now, in any case. Um, they're hearing it from Bilbo. Bilbo doesn't know it. I don't think that Bilbo knows the story, and we've not really been led to believe. I mean, there's nothing in this paragraph 
that leads us to believe that he is telling Gollum's whole backstory as learned by Gandalf, right? Not only because Bilbo would probably leave that to Gandalf because it's not Bilbo's story, that's Gandalf's story, right? But what we're told is that he recounts his adventure with Gollum at full length. And again, I'm not saying that it's... um, uh, I'm not saying that it's irrelevant or something. I'm just saying it is it is both at least as relevant, right? The 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 story of his party and his appearance is at least as important as the other, and it's also a good deal shorter unless he's going to tell the entire story of the entire party, right? I guess perhaps Elrond could be uh, very easily excused from preventing an entire narration of the party and the guest list and, uh, you know, and all that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, But, um, interesting, I wonder. Angris says skipping the inheritance avoids potentially shaming Bilbo. It may be probative, but there are other proofs which are more conclusive than that story. Yes... Yes, I suppose. Um, And it's true, Tony, that they're less interested in its power than its provenance. Presumably, I mean, they're certainly concerned about its provenance, right? Um, But there are really two questions on the table, right? Um, The two questions are, and let me, I'm going to need to flip to the end here. Let me go back to how Boromir said it, right? Um, How do the wise know that this ring is his, and how has it passed down the years until it is brought hither by so strange a messenger? Those are the two questions, right? How do we know that this ring is the ring of power, in fact? And how has it passed down the years until it is brought hither by so strange a messenger? How do we know this is Sauron's ring, and how on earth did it get here? Why is there a halfling bringing it to Rivendell right now, right? Yes. So, yes, obviously, Bilbo's story about how he found it in the mountains, very relevant to that second question, right? Some elements of that first, of that story, right? The the, the riddle story might be, uh, but I would say very indirectly, evidentiary uh, for that, for the first question, how do the wise know that the ring is his? But again, that second one is, is even more. What I'm asking, all I'm asking here... Um, and Angrist, you're exactly right. Galdor is going to ask a very similar thing later on. Um, all I'm asking here is, is it possible that there is another reason other than boredom, right? Other than Elrond's desire to keep Bilbo from nattering on all day long, right? Um, other than, you know, Elrond kind of, in a sense, almost turning Bilbo's own words back at him, right? I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't really indulge uh, in any overt hobbitry here. He could, right? I mean, Elrond could raise his hand and say, all right, who's thriving on speech alone now, Bilbo? Right? I thought you wanted lunch. You know, I was, but he doesn't say that, right? It's very possible. It's very possible uh, that, yes, Aristor doesn't need to hear about the Proudfoots. That is perfectly, it, it, it could just be that. But but I'm I'm wondering. I'm wondering what if there could be any other motivation, and, in, and if so, what it would be. Uh, Chris says that he's with the notion of sparing Bilbo from the shame of his parting with the ring. Perhaps. Perhaps. I don't know. I'm not sure I'd buy that one. For two reasons. 
One, because the ring being what it is, I'm not sure that there is shame attached. I mean, no, I mean, I feel pretty confident that there's no shame attached to it. And I'm not even sure that Bilbo himself would feel shame for it. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe he would. But I, I you know, again, I'm thinking back to his uh, flash of understanding uh, during the... Um, yeah, at the Hall of Fire, right? Put it away. I understand now, right? Um, and I'm thinking that, you know, perhaps... Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking perhaps Bilbo doesn't actually... wouldn't feel shame, because he understands now, right? Um... Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Uh, see, but even after I understand now, put it away, Chris, I, I, I think I'm not sure he would feel shame. Maybe he would, but I don't know. Um, yeah. He does say I'm sorry for everything, but... See, Chris, there, I don't think it's his own actions that he's sorry about. I think he's sorry that Frodo came in for this, right, as he says, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not 100% convinced that, uh, um, I'm not sold on that. And, but what's more, I am even less sold on the idea that to spare Bilbo lest his feelings be in lest he experience some kind of chagrin that everyone would agree he really shouldn't but lest he do that we're gonna skip evidence like we're gonna we're gonna not tell people about reasons to believe that this is the enemy's ring like I'm I'm even less convinced of that if you see what I mean um uh Yeah, I don't know. Um, right, Comic 99 is saying uh, it's not necessarily his feelings, but his deeper mental health that I would have been worried about. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've got to think, if you're worried about Bilbo's longer-term mental health, the greatest danger would be him sitting there or seeing the ring held up in front of him, Right. Um, that, clearly, again, if you're worried about Bilbo long-term, that's got to be way more dangerous than allowing him to tell a story which he was keen to tell. Let's not keep, let's not forget, like, Elrond has to cut him off. And if he hadn't cut him off, Bilbo would have told the whole thing, right? So, again, I don't think that Bilbo seems to have reservations about it. Um, but, um, anyway, I don't know, yeah, uh, uh, Janae says uh, maybe Elrond is just a fantastic mediator. Maybe he is. You know, maybe this is Elrond just very skillfully running his meeting. Um, uh, yeah, see, I don't know, Flamifer. I mean, uh, if... I mean, again, what he... I mean, Flamifer, I'm kind of building off your comment here. What he says, you know, for the moment, it suffices to know that the ring passed to Frodo, your heir, 
Let him now speak. Really? That suffices? I mean, Bilbo's surrendering of the ring voluntarily is a huge deal. I mean, you could say, like, well, maybe they're sparing his, you know, sparing his blushes right now. Maybe, uh, maybe they don't want to uh, uh, tax his humility, right, by uh, saying in front of this august crowd that, you know, this hobbit here, Bilbo Baggins, has accomplished what Isildur himself did not accomplish, right? Has accomplished what no one else, as far as we know, in the history of Middle-earth has ever done, and that is yielding the ring of power to someone else of his own free will, right? Um, that also would be a thing that you could say, but it, El, that's another thing that Elrond... Co- so how Frodo was affected, the evidence of the, of the, the, uh, the attract, the desire of the ring on Bilbo, that's being skipped, right? The significance of Bilbo giving it up, Right? Elrond is going to skate right over that too and just say it suffices to know that the ring passed to Frodo your heir. Um, yeah. Um, well, I, I, it may be irrelevant to provenance, Matt, but it's not. But that's only half the question. Half the, half the question is how did Frodo get it? But the other half of the question is how do we know this is the ring of power, right? So perhaps it's simply focus, right? Right, exactly, JJ, that they're they're not answering the other question just yet. Perhaps so. Perhaps so. In which case, it's inexcusable to in- allow the whole riddle game, right? Uh, and that went on for quite a long time, right, without being stopped. Um... But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Zephan, yes, at full length refers to Gollum and then skips straight to the party because Bilbo's, he's laser focused, right? How I got the ring and how I gave it away. He knows that's his, his role, right? So he's being super disciplined, right, and only saying those two things. Um, but, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, good. Dolor Stroke is saying, is it ever clear that Boromir knows the ring makes you disappear? Well, let's watch for evidence of that. Um, do we know that? Do, do we know that for certain? Um, <laughs> Uh, Lil Atomic uh, on Twitch says, uh, is um, imagining Bilbo pausing after each riddle to let everyone there puzzle it out for a bit. I, I like that idea. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember what he says, Chris. Well, um, let's not worry about what he says, because that's still a while down the future. Boromir, I mean. Uh, that's still a while down uh, down the future. Um, but, um, yeah, JJ, it is public knowledge in the greater Erebor region, right, what the ring does. Um, uh Yeah. 
Yeah, presumably adventure with Gollum at full length would include his putting on the ring and becoming invisible. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that would include the escape from Gollum, and so that should include the, the invisibility there. Yeah. So I would think, presumably here, though again, this is another thing that, to me, makes this passage really interesting, right? That is, why is it that we are... Um, why is it that we're not... I mean, I know why we're not having the whole Hobbit retold to us again, right? But... Um, um, it's not just a question of the thing being summarized for us. Elrond also is skipping over things here, right? Um, and uh, and I wonder, yeah, Nahor was just saying the same thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um I can see the reasons. I don't know, like I said, I'm not saying that there's that like the joke at Bilbo's expense is enough. Like that's totally enough, right? That would explain it sufficiently. What I my question you remember was is it possible, right? Could there be any other reason? Is there is there is there another way to understand that? Just because it seems to me a little bit odd. A little bit odd that... Because we could have had this joke earlier on, right? Um, That is to say, Elrond doesn't have to let Bilbo tell the whole Riddle Game story, right? He could have intervened earlier and said, you know... I mean, even as soon as he starts telling the riddles, right? He's already told how he found the ring, right? Um... You know, he could have been like, skip a bit, brother, right? In the middle there, right? And like, you know, uh, skip ahead to, you know, when Gollum charged after you and you escaped, right? So that he could illustrate that, it, like, when he put the ring on, it made him invisible or whatever, right? Um, that, um, you know, that's definitely, that would have been enough, right? But we don't have him interrupting there, Um Yes, and Nathan, you're right. Right before this, Elrond was joking about Bilbo casting the story into verse, right? Um, but see, Rhiannon, that's just the thing. If he is interested in Bilbo showing Gollum mercy, why on earth would he not be interested in what happened when Bilbo gave the ring away? Which is at least as important, right? So it's... it's I guess that's just... It's the problem that I'm having is that this... This account doesn't satisfy either option, right? Either, because we've got the two questions. How do we know this is Sauron's ring? And how, and how, and if it is, how did it get here? Right? Um, the provenance So the, the identity of the ring question, the provenance of the ring question, right? If we're going to say all that matters here is the provenance, that's the only reason Bilbo is testifying, is to the provenance of the ring. Well, this doesn't satisfy that because he gives a whole bunch of information. If we're interested... Uh, Rhiannon, exactly as you suggest, in seeing Bilbo's mercy and trying to understand the effect of the ring on Gollum, any of those things, if any of that stuff is, if if we are to take it that Bilbo's first story there is relevant, it's not relevant to the provenance story, 
but uh and so if, but so if we're instead to say well we're interested in more than provenance obviously then why aren't we interested in more than provenance later on um so anyway yeah um let's see matt says are we sure that Elrond knows the whole story of bilbo's leaving Probably. Gandalf has had several days to catch up with Elrond. Um, so it's hard for me to imagine he wouldn't have told him the whole thing. And of, I mean, I've, wait, hang on a few days. I'm slipping a gear. I'm thinking about his conversation with Frodo. He's had decades to tell him that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was thinking about his conversation with uh, how, how the conversation with Frodo went right earlier on. Yeah. Yeah, no. There's, it's been it's been quite some time. He's had plenty of time uh, to tell Elrond, and I see no reason that he wouldn't have um, uh, that he wouldn't have told him that. JJ says Bilbo has had years to tell Elrond. Also true. Um, hard to imagine that uh, Elrond hasn't heard the story of the unexpected party, you know, the long expected party before. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Forthano says this is also not a story that Bilbo would hesitate telling of his own volition. No, and it certainly doesn't seem like he's hesitating right now, right? Um, so, yeah, I... Um, <laughs> Mudmore says, and if you want to know more, buy my book. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Um, yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> Nathan is imagining that he was Bilbo had just begun to chant and that's when Elrond said so like that he hasn't cast the riddle game into into verse yet but he has cast the unexpected the long expected party story into verse and so right when he's about to begin uh his um uh his comical tale and rhyming couplets about the long expected party that's in fact when Elrond breaks in um yeah yeah um Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it just seems inconsistent. And like I said, it's an inconsistency which provides a joke. And that... Maybe that's enough. You know, that's enough on its own. But it's inconsistent. Um, it just strikes me as inconsistent from Elrond's perspective. Uh, to allow the first... And to not to allow three. And no singing, says Evil Dr. Cannon. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Well, but Lincoln, that's exactly it. You know, Lincoln says, I think Elrond felt it was crucial. The details of the ring's finding be read into the congressional record. For, for some reason, he's less concerned that the details of the handoff be so known. Well, that's exactly my question. If there's a reason, I'd like to kind of think through what it could be, right? Um, yeah. Well, Rowan, I agree. That is one... Um, one sort of outside of the frame of the narrative reason, right, is that, of course, 
the first story, the Finding of the Ring story, is a story which many of us have probably read before. If we've read The Hobbit before, we've read The Lord of the Rings. But not necessarily all. Whereas much closer to 100% of the people who have gotten to Chapter 2 of Book 2 will have also read Chapter 1 of Book 1, right? So uh, that story is within this book and so needs even less uh, recollection to us, right, than uh, the earlier one. Possibly. Possibly. Um, But yeah, Lincoln, that's another good way to tell the... um, to to frame the question, right? What specifically is the narrative that Elrond is trying to establish. Yes. And I would add, is there a way in which this particular imbalance, tell the first part, but don't tell the second part, that that enhances a particular a particular narrative, a particular version of the narrative? Um... Is there... Hmm. Is anyone going to talk about the desire for the ring that grows in the hearts of others? Um... Do you see what I mean? The effects of the ring on people. Does that... I'm not sure that that comes up. Well, Gandalf knows about it, Arahad. I mean, he's seen it. He's figured it out. Bilbo knows about it, right? Um, yeah. Well, fourth Dauntless, all we need is Gollum got the ring at the Gladden Fields, got, Bilbo got the ring from Gollum, he passed it along to Frodo. Yes, again, only if we're concerned about the provenance. But remember, there is no clear, unquestionable provenance, even if you're just thinking about provenance, between Isildur and Gollum, right? I mean, yeah, there's the coincidence of geography, and maybe that's enough to convince you. But if you were a hostile, you know, if you were, you know, if you were a hostile attorney, it wouldn't be enough, right? It's circumstantial at best to say that Gollum pulled it, but but keep in mind that element of the story Gollum pulling it out of the river has not been told is not included here right so you'd think if the story if the if the so coming back to Lincoln's excellent framing of the question if Elrond's goal here is to keep a laser focus on the provenance of the ring how did it get from Sauron's hand to Frodo's hands like to around Frodo's neck right now how did that happen, step by step? He's starting in the middle, right? I mean, he would start... He's told about Isildur having it and about Isildur being killed. Next, he would call on Gandalf to tell the Gollum story, right? And then he would call on Bilbo to say how, like, uh, Bilbo, uh, Gollum had clearly, you know, talked about it as his ring, and so he, we, we can feel very confident that this is indeed the ring that... Gollum took out of the river um, and all of the reasons that they already have to believe that the ring that was taken out of the river by Diagol was in fact Sauron's ring right um, so I um, I don't think I don't think that um, 
I don't think that that fits the narrative is what I'm saying. Um, or if that or if that is his focus, he's doing it badly. Again, he's starting in the middle. Um, but if he's trying to do the other, he's also doing it badly. Um, that is, if he's trying to, to give evidence, to, to allow evidence to be brought forward that this is indeed Sauron's ring, he's not doing a great job there either, right? He does, yes, talk about Gandalf going last because it's the place of honor. Yes. Um, maybe maybe it's Bilbo's fault. Bilbo did interrupt, after all, right? Um, Elrond called on Bilbo only after Bilbo interrupted, asking about lunch, right? Um, so... Yeah. Well, no, Tony, I am counting the story of Isildur in the ring before, but he's skipping the middle bit, right? It, what you could say is the crucial middle bit, right? I mean, think of the story. Imagine yourself, well, well, Boromir is sort of tricky, right? Imagine you're Legolas, right? Legolas is outside all of this, right? Legolas will probably have known almost none of this. He will have known Bilbo, right? He probably would have met Bilbo. Um, and... Um, you know, this being, of course, one thing that Peter Jackson certainly got correct is that obviously Legolas would have been there um, uh, in the events of The Hobbit, right? The only reason he wasn't in the book is that he hadn't been invented yet, and that is arguably not Legolas' fault. Um, but anyway, um, so imagine you're Legolas, right? And you are hearing this story for the first time. Uh and um, he uh, what? He's heard that Isildur took the ring from Sauron's hand. He presumably had never heard that before, right? And that Isildur was slain by orcs and it was lost, right? <laughs> Tessa says, arguably. Tessa, what I have always said, and I stand by this, if Legolas wasn't there, there has to be a reason, Right? If there weren't a reason, he would be there. Maybe there was a reason, but you'd have to invent a reason to make Legolas not there, if he exists, right? Anyway, never mind. Okay. So, um, imagining your Legolas, right? You've learned that Isildur took the ring from Sauron and that he then died at the Gladden Fields. What's the next thing you learn about the ring? Right then, Boromir very sensibly says, how do we know that this ring that Frodo just held up is the enemy's ring and how on earth did he get it, right? Two very sensible questions, but again, you're Legolas and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty curious about that too. And then Elrond calls on Bilbo and Bilbo speaks up and says, I was in the mountains one day, the Misty Mountains, you know, not too far, but not too very close either to the Gladden Fields. And um, uh, I found this ring, this random ring lying randomly about in a tunnel in the mountains, Right. But it turned out it belonged to this golem creature. We told some riddles. He tried to kill me. I escaped. Right? I, I handed off the ring to Frodo. What does that prove? What, are you convinced? What is this proof? Right? The middle is still completely missing. Right? The middle of that story is still not there. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, let me go back again. Um, back one more here. Right. No, it's the same one. Okay. Um, 
he asks his question. Elrond says, that shall be told. Bilbo says, but not yet I beg. And Elrond says, I had not named you, but I do so now. Come tell us your tale. Right? Um, so maybe Elrond is just rolling with it. Right? Um, yeah. We are kind of, I mean, it is kind of working, but it's not even really working backwards consistently for Thalys, or else we'd start with Frodo, right? Okay, Frodo, you just brought the ring. Let's backtrack and figure out where you got it. Oh, you inherited it from Bilbo. All right, Bilbo, now's the time, right? So, arguably, Bilbo, either way, (laughs) in neither case should Bilbo have been the first one to talk, Um, in which case, again, perhaps it simply was the mere fact that he interrupted. Um, and then uh, Elrond rolled with it, right? Um, now, you're right, Angerus, that this is this is the information, the proof as it was developed, right? It's chronological from the research perspective, not from the rings perspective. That is that gap that I'm identifying as the major gap, right, between between the river and the mountain, right? Um, is was the last part of the story to be filled in, right? That is true, but I have a hard time believing that that's being carefully built up in exactly that way, right? Yeah, Kit thinks that. Um, uh, <laughs> well, Valamoinen says Elrond was too polite to tell Bilbo to shut it, right? And Kit suggests that Elrond has just ripped up his agenda and tossed it up in the air at this point. Um, uh, Yeah, Uh, that seems to me very um, very possible. Very possible. Um, There is a lot of red pen on the agenda, at the very least. Yeah, yeah, no question. Um, (laughs) um, Let's come back to this when Gandalf comes in, right? Um, Yeah, let's... let's, uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, JJ says, great, we'll have to move the second icebreaker to after lunch. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, Arjun points out that Elrond has a long perspective on these sort of things. He can roll with this narrative and presumably expects other people to roll with it too, right? Um, but yeah, I think that we will... Um, um, I think that we will see... I'm coming around to um, uh, to uh, Angrist. Was that you? So, yes. Uh, I'm c- coming around to Angrist's point of view, which Matt was just supporting. Um, basically, to say, okay, we all agree on what happened with Isildur, right? We established that Isildur took the ring, right? Elrond has testified to that as an eyewitness, right? Isildur took the ring, and then he, you know, it did not come down to uh, his heirs. Right. We have seen the things that have come down to his heirs. Ring of Power wasn't among them. Right. So, okay. Um, so, yeah, so we, we've established that first bit. And now, uh, you know, as Matt says, here is the first person account of the ring before us. 
and then we're going to leave it to Gandalf to tie the two of them together. Yeah, even if that weren't his plan all along, I could see why he would sort of roll with it, right? Um, yeah, and that's another interesting way of thinking about it, um, JJ, that uh, Elrond is basically starting with all the provable eyewitness accounts, right? Um, the Gandalf's conclusions, I mean, even Gollum's testimony is a little iffy, right? I mean, Gandalf freely admits that he is speculating based on, um, uh, based on Gollum's account, right? Um, he does not have direct testimony about what happened with the ring. Gollum's a liar, right? And continued to lie consistently and throughout. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, facts before speculation. As solid as the speculation might be, uh, first, first present the, the, the facts first. And that's why Elrond says, okay, let's, we left the story with Isildur, right? Let's pick it up where it did pick up. So I, I, I was skeptical at first, Angris, but I'm coming around to this idea. Um, I'm coming around to this idea. Maybe it is the best way to present it. To give the two ends and then hand the floor to Gandalf and allow him to uh, uh, to connect those two dots to, to explain the middle and how it and how it works. Exactly, Nathan. It would be a, we know this, we know that, therefore this must be true kind of argument. Yeah, exactly. That still doesn't explain to me why he doesn't want Bilbo to tell the story of how he gave it up, but it's interesting. And like I said, I'm, I'm willing to kind of hang on to that a little bit to sort of set that aside. I still don't feel like I've got a good frame for that. Like I have a, a frame in which that fits, but, but that's okay. Um, we will kind of come back to it. Um, uh, I think when we get to Gandalf here, um, yeah, perhaps Arana says that the order helps prevent the audience, uh, leaping ahead of the narrative. Um, maybe so, maybe so, um, yeah, Dolores Stroke says they let Gandalf really ramble later. Strange that they cut Bilbo off. Well, Dolores Stroke, that's exactly why I um, don't question this passage exactly. Don't, but why I'm a little dubious, right? I mean, again, it's funny that he cuts Bilbo off and doesn't want to let uh, Bilbo natter on, but at the same time, like, it's not like efficiency has been the hallmark of this council so far, right? I mean, like, why start now, really? Um, but um, anyway, um, okay, but let's um, let's keep going. He says, to Frodo, your heir, let him now speak. That's very definitive, right? Let Frodo now speak. Um well, mealtime might be a factor, but apart from Bilbo, no one's going to even bring it up. And we've got a lot to go, right? Um, somebody tell me, what percentage of the way through the Council of Elrond are we right now? Those of you who have it, like, uh, you know, in iBooks or something, will be able to tell me pretty quickly, right? What percentage of the chapter are we through right now? I didn't think to check that. Um...
31%. Okay, yeah, thanks, Arnas. Very good. 31%. So again, it's not like lunch is on the horizon, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's clearly not the biggest concern here. Um, uh, so yeah, I, 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 I think they're going to end up working through lunch. I, I do. I do think so. Um, right. And Rowan, you're absolutely right. There was a whole big chunk that was skipped at the beginning. Right. So, yeah, there's there's um, a great deal of stuff. OK. Anyway. Let's let Frodo now speak. Then less willingly than Bilbo, Frodo told of all his dealings with the ring from the day that it passed into his keeping. That's a lot. All of his dealings with the ring from the day that it passed into his keeping? Every step of his journey from Hobbiton to the Ford of Bruinen was questioned and considered, and everything that he could recall concerning the Black Riders was examined. At last he sat down again. Not bad, Bilbo said to him. You would have made a good story of it if they hadn't kept on interrupting. I tried to make a few notes, but we shall have to go over it all again together sometime, if I am to write it up. Now, let me do that sentence again. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to emphasize that. I tried to make a few notes, but we shall have to go over it all again together sometime, if I am to write it up. There are whole chapters of stuff before you ever got here. Yes, it made quite a long tale, answered Frodo. But the story still does not seem complete to me. I still want to know a good deal, especially from Gandalf. Okay. Um, all right, good. So, um, what do you think? Good. Both Argent and Zephan want to know who was doing the questioning. Great question. No idea. In fact, you will notice how emphatic this paragraph is about not t- answering that question. Do you see how emphatic it is about that? How do we know that this paragraph is emphatic about not telling us who answered the questions? Right? Or who, who asked the questions? Frodo's answering them, right? Exactly, Tessa. And, and Forthalus, the passive voice. Yes, that's it, right? Every step of the journey was questioned and considered, and everything he could recall was examined, right? All of it is passive voice, right? We have, we are told nothing at all about who asked those questions. Um... Yeah, I... Having established, we certainly know nothing about that. I am now going to speculate. And here's the one piece of speculation that I feel ready to say. Okay, two. Two things I feel ready to say. First, I think not Elrond. I think if Elrond were the only one, if Elrond were his primary interlocutor, if this were just Elrond cross-questioning Frodo, it would have said that, right? I think that the 
passive voice, the use of the passive voice here indicates that the questioning was general, that the room is questioning him. Um, questions are popping up from all over the place, and he's answering lots of people's questions, right? Um, if it were just Elrond prompting him with questions or probing his account with questions, I, I would think the narrator would have said that rather than leaving it in the passive voice. I also rather suspect that it was prob- that Boromir probably did not say very much, because given the very active role that Boromir has had and the interest in which the narrator has the interest which the narrator has shown in Boromir and Boromir's reactions to things, I would think that that might have been mentioned too. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Evil Dr. Cannon says it sounds like a thesis defense. Yeah, exactly. You stand in front of the room and they all ask you questions. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, obviously, I can't, um, um, I can't prove that either of those things, either that Elrond was not the primary questioner or that Boromir didn't ask questions. Um, those just seem to me two things that would very likely have been mentioned, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Okay, so I go back to that first sentence that I paused on while I was reading it, right? Um, Frodo told all of his dealings with the ring from the day that it passed into his keeping, right? Now, granted, there's not a lot to say that wouldn't be a very exciting story. Like the first 17 years of his relationship with the ring are not super exciting. Um, does this mean that he did tell stories about it? Did he recall that time that he, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, um, other thoughts about it? Uh, how much did he tell of his conversation with Gandalf, you know? I'm not really... Sure, exactly, Mad Violinist. Did he use it to avoid unpleasant relatives and confess that? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but even if we pass that over, even if, even if that sentence means nothing other than, yeah, I had the ring... I used to keep it in my pocket. I kept it in my pocket all the time. I kept it locked up. Whatever. Like, basically, I can prove that this is definitely the ring. Nobody swapped out this ring, right? This is definitely the ring that Uncle Bilbo uh, gave to me. Now, Fourth Dauntless, you're absolutely right. I'm skipping over that opening clause, right? Less willingly than Bilbo. Um, why is he less willing? Is it just a personality thing? Um... Is it a familiarity with audience thing? That is, Bilbo has met most of these people before and feels a lot more comfortable. Um, I mean, he performs in the Hall of Fire sometimes, right? So he would not just be in awe of the room, necessarily, right? 
<laughs> Privacy concerns, <laughs> says Arnas. Yeah, very, very likely. Very likely. Um, Tarlaniel does point out that Frodo's story is both more recent and more unpleasant, right? So he might not necessarily want to relive it, really. Um, Matt, Matt points out that he also might be a little gun-shy about audiences since the incident at the Prancing Pony, right? Maybe. Perhaps so. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, um, yeah, Mad Violinist was saying it could be the difference between Bilbo's positive adventures um, and Frodo's terror-haunted flight to the Ford. Yes. But right, Tony's asking, and Fourth Dauntless was asking in his original question, could the influence of the ring be involved here at all? Um, I don't see here, on this whole passage, this paragraph or the next two paragraphs, I don't see any of the markers that would seem to indicate ring activity clearly. No sudden feelings or convictions that he has, no um, thoughts about the ring, right? No idle, you know, thinking about the ring or imagining putting it on and escaping from the silly situation or anything like that, right? Um, those are the kinds of things that are, you know, are sort of smoking gun evidence of some kind of activity of the ring directly. Um, I don't see anything here. Now, that doesn't prove that there's nothing, that it's not happening, but I don't see anything which seems to point directly um, to that. Uh, and that's interesting, Tony. Tony's wondering if maybe Frodo is thinking that he is working up to a moment where he has to give up the ring. We talked about that before, right? That almost certainly when Frodo walked into the room, he thought that was the purpose of this. This is the end of his quest, right? His quest was to get the ring to Rivendell and surrender it to the wise. Here they are, right? All the wise present are here in the room, right? This council is where that's supposed to happen, right? Um, exactly, Belongsman. We saw him wanting to give it to Aragorn uh, bef before. And so, Tony, exactly, if that's true, if he's, if he's thinking about that, the culmination of his testimony here could well be um, him giving up the ring, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> it is also, and I forget which one of you said this, Matt, maybe? Um, was saying that um, it is um, it is interesting that Frodo's story like holds them spellbound, where Bilbo's, or rather, because you, you, you kind of do it the other way around, right? Bilbo, yeah, no, that that was what you were saying, Matt. That Bilbo's story was holding them spellbound. Nobody interrupted Bilbo, right? Whereas as soon as Frodo starts talking, he's getting cross questioned from everywhere, right? Um, like they're They've got to prompt him with questions in order to get all the information that they want and that they need. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Fourth Thoughtless says no one was actually interested in Bilbo's riddles. They were they were all busy on their phones during that time. So uh, it was it was just because nobody was paying attention that nobody interrupted him. Also possible. Um, certainly, recency has a lot to do with their particular interest in this thing, right? Um, there's only so much point in cross-questioning Bilbo about details of his encounter with Gollum, right? Um, whereas here, there's a lot that needs to be... As we are about to transition away from reporting a fact and on to speculation about things, right, and drawing of conclusions from facts, uh, they are wanting to get as much data out of Frodo as possible, uh, as no doubt most of them in the room are thinking that there's a lot in his story that they may well understand better than Frodo does. Even I mean, he was there. He saw what happened. But that doesn't mean he knows why, right? What were the ringwraiths doing? Why did the ringwraiths act the way that they did? What was up with the sniffing? Right? Frodo didn't even think to ask Gildor about the sniffing. Right? Pippin was pretty sure it was important, but Frodo didn't ask about it. Right? What does it tell them? Right? Um, uh, the more details he can give, the better conclusions they can, they can draw. It is also possible that Bilbo is just a better storyteller than Frodo. Um, though that's a kind of ironic thing to say in the midst of a story that, which is reputedly told by Frodo, chiefly. Right? Um, but, okay. Um, I, I think I would go with a combination of things here. Um, one reason, sh surely, why, um, Bilbo, or Frodo is less willing than Bilbo, um, is that... This is, I mean, it's not fun for him, right? And so this is, this is not a fun, his is not a fun story to tell. Um, uh, Bilbo's might have been gruesome and palpitating at the time, but it was a long time ago now, right? And has long since become simply a fun story for him to tell. Um, Frodo's recent encounter with the ring raids and his stabbing and the effects of the stabbing um, is uh, not... Not so much. Um, and I wonder, Cosmic, I wonder if Frodo might be starting to sense that his story isn't over yet. Maybe. Maybe he feels that he's coming up on the giving away of the ring. Maybe he feels the opposite, Cosmic, as you're suggesting, right? Maybe he feels there's still more to be done now, and that makes him uneasy, right? Um, and certainly, Amy, you're right that Frodo's story does contain the most recent information about the ring. Um, so if we're wanting to establish all the facts, uh, they would want to... Th those facts are clearly much more immediately relevant. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting, Zeph, and thank you for reminding me of that. That is excellent, and I, I, it's easy to get muddled on these things, and I don't usually remember it clearly. But Zephan is pointing out that in the original draft of the Council of Elrond, the sequence was different. In the original draft, when he first told the story, um, 
the story went, Bilbo gave his account, then Gandalf told his story, then Frodo went. Um, so Tolkien did, in fact, shift up the order deliberately. It's not just kind of how it naturally... He, he made a, a distinct choice um, in order to, 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 to put things that way. Um, now, the original order doesn't solve my other problems, right? Um, it's still not putting in the, putting the middle in the It's still out of sequence. Uh, but, um, it's still out of sequence, but it's a little bit less, I don't know what, sort of urgently out of sequence, right? You go to Bilbo and then you're like, okay, but, but before we move on from Bilbo, let's pause and go back and explain the gap in between. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Arna says it might help explain Bilbo getting cut off. What if Gandalf did it originally? Yeah, because he would uh, cut Gan- uh, cut Bilbo off more mercilessly, perhaps. Um, but I do agree, Valori, that there is an organic logic to it, especially the way that it's presented now. The the published version, the revised version. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, just germane to what we were just saying about Frodo there, it is true that Frodo telling him his story at the end does lead up more directly to Frodo volunteering to take it and to keep it. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cecilia is thinking that perhaps some of the elves might have been some of the questions they you know they, they might have wanted to establish if uh, make sure that they'd be checking in to make sure that Gildor sufficiently said both no and yes right were were, were his answers sufficiently ambivalent right or else uh, you know he might have been censured by the elf community uh, so yeah I'm sure they did need to establish that um, yeah yeah okay. Um, Every step of his... Now, I just want to go through just in that first paragraph and and just notice again the specific things that are being mentioned. Every step of his journey and everything that he could recall concerning the Black Riders. Those... So, where he traveled and what happened to him and especially, especially, everything that he can say about the Black Riders. Um... Yeah, yeah, exactly, Jason. And exactly, how many dishes did you leave for Lobelia in Bag End? Yeah, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to sort that out. Um, yeah. Bilbo's comment to him. Why does he do that? Not bad. You would have made a good story of it if they hadn't kept on interrupting. I tried to make a few notes, but we shall have to go go over it all again together sometime. Um, why does Bilbo offer him a literary critique? Primarily, right? Yeah, Tony, I think he's trying to lighten the mood, too. I think that there is... Uh, um, 
I think that there is... I mean, it is true that Bilbo does love storytelling, and it's sort of charmingly within Bilbo's idiom, right? To think about it that way. Um, but... Um, But this seems to me, look, I don't care how into storytelling you are. If you're in this situation, you're, I mean, this isn't about storytelling, right? This is about not only world-shaking events here, but, you know, serious traumatic, like including physical and psychological trauma, uh, spiritual trauma, right, to... Frodo himself. Um, yeah, that's just what I'm thinking, Karita, that that um, Frodo is reliving trauma and Bilbo is pulling him out, right? Um, that is to say, Bilbo knows full well that this was not, you know, Frodo's entry into the rhetoric competition, right? Um, what happens, right? By saying... Not bad. You would have made a good story of it if they hadn't kept on interrupting. That's dispassionate, right? That's objective. He is in the immediate thing that he does is invite Frodo or invite Frodo, yeah, to reflect on the story that he's just told objectively as a story, right? Not as those kind of immediately lived events, right? Um, um, Exactly, Karita. If you maybe if you can think of it more like a future memoir and less like living it all over again, you know, it will really it will really help. Um, and musical, you're right that he's inviting him to have more confidence as well. Um, he does praise him, right, and not just with the slightly faint praise, right, of not bad, um, but also throwing the blame on others, right? You would have made a good story of it if they hadn't kept on interrupting. You'd have done even better, right? But again, I think to me that um, uh, to me, the main thing is that he is offering the very first commentary, sort of personal commentary that Frodo gets on it is one that invites him, Frodo, to achieve a kind of emotional distance from the events. Right. Um, And that simply does seem to me kind on Bilbo's part. Right. Like everyone else is dragging detail after detail out of I mean he is being forced to relive this in every possible detail that he can mu- that he can muster right and Bilbo is the is the first one to kind of throw him a bone here right um help him to kind of break out of that mode right um yeah Carita says Bilbo is better at managing pretty delicate psychological situations than I would have expected yeah yeah uh, between this and what we saw in the Hall of Fire, I think it's it's pretty uh, um, it's pretty uh, perceptive. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, good. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Tony says it seems like something that he might have said in Bag End. So there's comfort and familiarity. Um, yeah. Yeah, perhaps so. Uh, putting this on a on a a friendly and familiar basis, right? Uh, like critiquing your you know somebody's storytelling. Um, 
Yeah, but Zephan, I do agree with you that it is definitely worth noticing that although he might be talking this way to try to sort of ease Frodo's feelings, right? Um, to help Frodo kind of process and kind of emotionally back up from what he was just been descri- what he's just been describing. Um, it is also delightful that Bilbo is clearly presuming that he's going to write this up, right? Uh, that writing an account of this is definitely uh, going to uh, be his job, right? Um, we shall have to go over it all again together sometime if I'm to write it up, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. Nathan is saying that uh, it does also seem to be that Bilbo is becoming more and more fixated on storytelling. Um, and he brings it up at almost every conversation before this. I think it has more clearly become his primary interest, right? Storytelling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, right, Tony and Aranas both thinking about him, his interest in leaving a legacy? Yes, perhaps. Um, it does come up angrist in The Hobbit, but in The Hobbit he's mostly thinking about his tea kettle, right, more than anything else, um, or about his pipe. Um, the And bacon, absolutely. Yeah. Eggs and bacon come up with some frequency as well. Um yeah, yeah. Um, there are whole chapters of stuff before you ever got here. Whole chapters of stuff uh, is a fascinating way to describe it. Though, again, slighting in a kind of comforting way, right? In its way. Um, yeah. And it is, of course, all of book one. I mean, it is, uh, as I forget who is describing Bilbo as kind of poking at the fourth wall here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Yes. We shall have to go over it all again together sometime. That's the phrase I kept struggling with, figuring out how um, how to say. Oops, sorry. I was suspecting that was about to happen. Um, that is how to how to emphasize it because um, those three words all again together, and I wasn't sure where to lay the stress. I feel like it should be a stress on one of them or at least one, but I wasn't sure which. We shall have to go over it all again together, or all again. To get, or together. We shall have to go over it all again together. We shall have to go over it all again together. We shall have to go over it all again together. Or we shall have to go through it all again together. I think together. I think the stress, yeah, it's got to be the third one. 
but we shall have to go over it all again together sometime. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, in which case, Karita, I'm thinking back to your point now, right? If what he was wanting to do was to enable an immediate sort of relief to Frodo, right? Let's stop reliving these things and let's think about it from a literary distance, right? Um, he is nevertheless relentless in his desire actually to write a book about it, um, which is going to involve going back over it all again, right? But they're going to go through it all again together, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Yet, yeah, uh, Tillian says that um, he says sometime, right? We shall have to go over it all again together sometime, if I am to write it up. Not necessarily um, not later, right? Not soon. Sometime does seem less immediate, Arnaz. Like, don't worry. We can let it sit for a little bit, right? Um, Yeah, Tillian says, it seems like Bilbo isn't expecting it to be soon, and I don't get why. Is it perhaps he thinks... um, (laughs) Right, is it... (laughs) Is it because he's putting it off until after the now wholly indeterminate lunch? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's afraid that Frodo is going to get stuck with the rest of the quest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bilbo is going to say afterwards, at the beginning of the next chapter, Bilbo is going to say that uh, he was afraid that this is what was going to happen, right? That Frodo would get stuck with it. Um, this would be evidence to support that. Um, perhaps, Tillian. Uh, if we believe that that's what he was really thinking at the time, right? Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I know Bilbo's going to offer to go himself. Um, that I want to wait to look at more. Um, because that I think is complicated. Very complicated. Um, so, Tillian, I'm trying to. Th- what I'm trying to think is, by his saying sometime, it's not definite, right? I mean, sometime could be later that night. It could be tomorrow. Um, it could be in two years, right? Um, is there reason to think that he is anticipating one way or another one of us is going to end up going off on this journey so um, you know after after the whole the whole quest the the after the inevitable quest is done then we can go over it is that what sometime means in Bilbo's mind um, I don't know because if it is Tony that's exactly what I was building towards is this a question of uh, giving hope for the future, right? No rush. No rush, right? We'll, we'll do it when, when you get back. No big deal, right? 
Um, yeah, there's certainly not a sense of urgency. Praise, I can certainly agree with that, right? Whatever else we say, that is certainly true here. Um, which would certainly be awkward, right? Well, we better do it before you go, because, I mean, you know, yikes. <laughs> right, that's, that's, that, that would be the opposite of this here. Um, and also, perhaps, yeah, maybe he's building on the possibility that Frodo might not be ready or available to talk for a while, uh, for one reason or another. Um, yeah, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Um, yeah, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Um, yes, it made quite a long tale, answered Frodo, but the story still does not seem complete to me. I still want to know a good deal, especially about Gandalf. What does Frodo want to know? Frodo is saying he wants to know where the heck Gandalf was and why he didn't come back, right? Um, that's clearly because Gandalf wouldn't tell him, right? He just gave me, he says, you know, I was, I was held captive, he tells him, right? Um, that's all he would say before. He didn't say by whom and he didn't say why and what happened. Um, but that it, sh it should be told, right? Uh, so, and this is, Nathan, you're absolutely right. That's what I was just about to say. This is clearly the Gandalf-related mystery that the reader is going to be most curious about, too, that we also have been wondering about for longest. Um, so, but in the economy of the meeting, it's not the most important thing. In fact, it turns out to be very germane, right, because of Saruman and the betrayal of Saruman, and that's a big deal. But um, the question of Ga Gandalf's contribution to filling in the gap between the Gladden Fields and the Misty Mountains, as far as the provenance of the ring is concerned, would seem to be a very much more significant element of Gandalf's testimony than where have you been, Gandalf? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Jennifer, I agree with you that um, he definitely wants to hear and know about the rest of the story, uh, but it doesn't really look like he has any desire to be a part of it. Yeah, I don't see any clear evidence of that, certainly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, um, you are, uh, you're right, Cecilia, to remind us that this conversation between Bilbo and Frodo is happening aside, right? Um, this is not like everyone in the room isn't listening to them. So Frodo has just sat down, and when Frodo sits down, presumably there's a bunch of general conversation in the room, right? As people are talking with their neighbors over what's, what, you know, they've just been hearing, um, and, you know, and what ideas they have or further questions they might have. And during that time, Bilbo and Frodo are chatting with each other here, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. 
um, that I think is is important to remember that they're not neither one of them is addressing the room, right? When, uh, um, and that's by the way, I dislike the way that Robert Inglis reads that paragraph. Um, he puts an edge into Bilbo's first sentence. You know, not bad. You would have made a good story of it, of it if they hadn't kept on interrupting, right? He he says that as if it's meant to be overheard by everybody else around them. Right. But I, I don't think that that's how it's read. I don't think it's how it should be read. I don't think that's how it's it's said by Bilbo, because I think it's pretty clear that he, the whole room isn't listening to Frodo and Bilbo talk to each other, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Hmm, interesting. So uh, Chris was suggesting, said that when my aunt read this to me, uh, the last part of Frodo's speech here was emphasized um, in the I don't really care if you overhear me sort of way. Um, So you think that Frodo might be speaking up a little bit. I still want to know a good deal, especially about Gandalf. He's not like raising his hand and being like, yo, people, right? I want to know a good deal, especially about Gandalf. But that he's not just whispering that to Bilbo. Exactly. Yeah, and we know, of course, someone is about to overhear them, so... But Galdor is an elf, has good ears, and is sitting right nearby, presumably, so um, that doesn't prove that Frodo necess- is shouting that, necessarily. Um, but, um, but yeah, if we peek at the next passage, Galdor of the Havens, who sat nearby, overheard him. You speak for me also, he cried, and turning to Elrond, he said, right? Um, hmm. Fourth Dauntless says, do we have text evidence that elves have good ears? Am I just merely making an extrapolation there? I think maybe I am. Ah, the dwarf breathes so loud we could shoot him in the dark, <laughs> says Tessa. Yeah, um, yeah, that would be, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so of course it's not said to the dwarf in the book, right? It's said to the hobbits. Uh, but yeah, yeah, um, the business about their breathing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the... It's the only one that comes immediately to mind of acuity of ears, of hearing to the elves. No, it doesn't imply that all elves, that that the elves have good, well, okay, yeah, I don't, no, I don't think it just implies the hobbits breathe loudly. I think it, I think, you know, um, Sam kind of takes it that way, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Oh, Chris, thank you for that. Very good. Uh, Frodo tells Sam that Gollum can hear as keen as elves. Yeah. Uh, elves are used as a standard for keenness of, of hearing, uh, specifically by Frodo. And I've got to think that when he says that, and that's in the Emin Wheel, of course, uh, at the beginning of Book 4. Um, so I have to imagine that... Um, Frodo is basing that on that encounter with Haldir at the borders of Lorien. Um, yep. 
Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, they can hear the talk of the land, but that's not about acuity of hearing. Um, Howsoever sharp your ears were, I doubt that you would hear the stones of the land speaking and be able to interpret their speech, right? Um, That's not about sharpness of ears. That's about, like, spiritual discernment and attunement, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think uh, I don't think that's about that's about that, um, but um, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see. Um, let's see. Yeah, no. And again, it's not about the keenness of Galadriel's ears that enables them to enables her to hear their thoughts. Certainly, um, we absolutely get specifics about the sharpness of Legolas's vision. Um, that by itself, of course, doesn't prove that all elves. Uh, uh, see like Legolas does. Um, Legolas, I feel confident in saying that Legolas's vision is unusual, even for elves. Um, yes, you have the fair eyes of your kindred, Gandalf says to uh, 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 to Legolas. Um, but I wonder if Legolas's ability to tell a sparrow from a finch a league off uh, is something that all elves share. Um, I am thinking that, um, I mean, of course, what I'm primarily thinking of there is Legolas Greenleaf is an old character. Um, Legolas Greenleaf is ultimately recycled um, from Tolkien's earlier mythology. Uh, The original Legolas Greenleaf was an elf of Gondolin uh, from from the Book of Lost Tales version of the Fall of Gondolin. And what he was primarily famous for was his incredibly sharp eyes. Um, uh, and vision. So um, the very unusually sharp eyes of Legolas Greenleaf are at least recalled in Legolas of the Nine Walkers. Um, that doesn't by itself prove that Legolas's eyes are sharper than other elves, but uh, uh, certainly to me opens the possibility. Um, but um, anyway, okay. Um, But whether or not he has really... Again, the, the sharpness of his ears don't need, necessarily need to be in question here. Um, I, and I doubt that Frodo and Bilbo are, like, attempting to make sure nobody else hears them. Whether or not, Chris, what Frodo says, he says out loud, hoping to be overheard. Um, whether or not that's true... They're speaking no secrets, right? There's, there's, there's no reason that anything that they have said couldn't necessarily be, uh, uh, be interrupted. Um, yeah, it's private, not secret, exactly. Or yeah, not, not interrupted, but overheard. I meant. Um, uh, and again, I'm also presuming that they're not the only ones in the room talking, right? Um. Galdor is calling people to attention, right? Galdor of the Havens, who sat nearby, overheard him. You speak for me also, he cried. Galdor, from that moment, is wanting to be heard, right? You, he's crying that. He, that he shouts out loud. Um, it is Galdor who calls them back to attention, right? By crying out loud... You speak for me also. And he turns to Elrond and delivers his speech, right? 
Um, yes, presumably crying, meaning shouting, not weeping. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yes, exactly. Um, his speech. The wise may have good reason to believe that the halfling's trove is indeed the great ring of long debate, unlikely though that may seem to those who know less. But may we not hear the proofs? And I would ask this also. What of Saruman? He is learned in the lore of the rings, yet he is not among us. What is his counsel, if he knows the things that we have heard? Okay. Great questions from Galdor. Um... Notice the first thing that we have to notice is that Bill or not Bilbo Boromir's questions, which again sometimes people take to be aggressive on his part, right? Challenging, perhaps, are echoed by Galdor of the Havens, who's got to be as close to a neutral party in all things Boromir related as anybody else could be, right? The wise may have good reason to believe that the halfling's trove is indeed the great ring of long debate, unlikely though that may seem to those who know less, right? Um, but may we not hear the proofs? Galdor points out, it has not been proven that Frodo's ring is indeed the great ring of long debate. Um... It is a slightly more respectful version of Boromir's question. Certainly more respectful in the sense that he is going out of his way to be polite, right? Um, yes. Yes. Um, unlikely, though, that may seem to those who know less. Yeah, Brick tells, of course, this is a really interesting piece of data, this sentence, uh, in trying to answer the question, who exactly are the wise, right? Galdor has ruled himself out. Galdor clearly does not include himself. Um, I, uh, I think that the concept of who is the wise gets, like, smaller and smaller as time goes on. Until in the end, I think the wise kind of seems to mean Gandalf, Galadriel, and Elrond, honestly. Like, the three of them sitting there communing with each other telepathically in, in Dunland, right? Yeah, that seems to pretty much be uh, be the wise. Tessa, I mean, Cirdan is probably gets like an honorary membership, right? Um, I mean, even if he's not the wise, he's certainly one of the old uh, so that almost counts. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Mike wants Caliborn to be included. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I just wanted to share with you. I was um, we were talking about my Caliborn pinata and how and how guilty I feel about that. Um Intermittently, rarely enough to keep me from making jokes at Kelborn's expense, but still there it is. Um, enough to make me feel bad about it afterwards. Um, and uh, Arthur Harrow, uh, after Mythgard Academy last week, was uh, po- pointing out uh, in Kelborn's, and I had never thought about this before. He was pointing out how I, um, 
you you may remember that Celeborn makes a dis, uh, a defense of old wives' tales, uh, right? Uh, and that there there may be much wisdom um, uh, uh, retained uh, by old wives. And Arthur was pointing out that, that was quite a tactful speech of him to make, given that he is standing right next to arguably the oldest wife in Middle Earth at the time. So you know, uh, it's very it's very sensible, um, but. Um, Anyway, okay, yeah, exactly, exactly, Bruce. He has an extremely old wife. Um, but um, anyway, okay. But we are not going to resolve who is the wise right now. It, just to note that this is an interesting, like, Galdor votes himself off that particular island, right? And that's interesting, uh, because certainly if we had said that the um, the wise... You know, like who in this room would have been counted among the wise? We might have guessed Galdor from the Havens, right? Um, but um, but he obviously does not think so. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lil Atomic thinks that Kierden, uh would be wise emeritus, basically. Yeah, he's uh, no longer f- uh, a full member of the wise. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but anyway, okay. My first question, though, before we get back to the why sentence. Why does he shout out, you speak for me also? You speak for me also, he cried. And turning to Elrond, he said. So, Chris, whether or not Frodo said that in a voice that was intended to carry to many in the room, right? Whether this was Frodo's kind of gentle not putting himself forward way, right, of asking for an explanation, right? Suggesting a new... T- <laughs> Basically, he's like, since Elrond has so little control over this meeting, and we all now, like, are pretty sure that Elrond, if he ever did have an agenda, no longer has one, right? So uh, I'm going to throw out the next topic of discussion here, since Elrond seems to pretty much roll with anybody who speaks up, right? So... I'm going to speak up, uh, putting in a little request to learn where the heck Gandalf has been and why he didn't show up for my birthday party, um, since apparently we're taking requests now, right? Um, exactly, Chris. We're, we're at the new business section of the agenda, so Frodo can kind of bring it up. Um, but um, uh, anyway, okay. So... Uh, Galdor, hearing himself, at at the very least, Galdor has heard this. I'm not, it doesn't seem to me like something Frodo would do to sort of shout that, you know. Um, There's a a great deal that I would like to know, especially from, uh, you know, from Gandalf, right? Um, Again, I don't think he's hiding it, but I don't think he's shouting it, but Galdor is, right? Um, And... You speak for me also, he says. Now, as several of you are pointing out, um, he's just affirmed Frodo's comment, which, remember, was, I still want to know a good deal, especially about Gandalf. Galdor says, me too. Yeah, I'm with you, Frodo. I also want to learn a great deal, especially about Gandalf. And then he turns and says, 
can we hear the proofs that this is in fact Sauron's ring? And what of Saruman? He proceeds to not mention Gandalf at all. Right? Yeah, so having just said, you speak for me, Frodo, except for the part about what you said. Right? But in every other way, you speak for me, <laughs> Frodo. Um, I... That's kind of interesting. It's like he takes half of the thing. Like, I still want to know a good deal. And Galdor's like, hey, I also want to know a good deal. Here's me, not one of the wise. Here's me knowing still not very many things about much, right? And I would like to know more about more things, right? So in that, we agree. I can take it or leave it, right, about Gandalf, whatever. Like that bit, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so worried about. Um, but, um, yeah, Valari saying it, it implies he wants to know why Gandalf is there instead of a useful wizard, right? Yeah. Why are we, uh, is there, is, hang on, is, is there a reason that we've got the second string over here, right? I mean, like, seriously, why do we have the auxiliary backup wizard when, like, we should have the main wizard, right? After all, like, seriously. What of Saruman? I mean... We're having a whole discussion here about the Ring of Power. And that's Saruman's specialty, right? I mean, it's like if we're going to have a discussion about the literary merits of Beowulf, we should have, like, why is the medievalist not even here, right, for this discussion? Like, I mean, come on, people. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Enoch Arden says, is Radagast a powerful wizard or is he more like you? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, Yeah, Chris is imagining the, the George R. R. Martin version uh, of this in which Galdor is part of a secret cabal of Haven's elves who are resentful that Kierden gave the ring to Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. Hey, unlike, uh, 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 what, could, uh, what could be more likely? Um. <laughs> so, Belongsman, you're thinking that, like, uh, you know, therefore he's sort of putting the wise in air quotes here, right? The wise may have good reason to believe, right? No, I mean, he wouldn't say that about Elrond, obviously, but, um, okay. Um, the fact that he doesn't mention Gandalf makes his segue to me, um, the more strange, right? Like you speak for me also, not just as a conversational gambit with Frodo, right? But as a public segue, um, by shouting, you speak for me also, he's drawing attention either to what Frodo just said or to, um, He's, he's drawing attention either to what Frodo just said or to the fact that Frodo was just saying something. Again, I'm not sure that the whole room just heard what he said. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, exactly, Frumius Bujum. That's what I'm wondering. Like, I mean, it, there's almost an element of like drawing attention to them whispering in the back of the class. I'm not saying that he's doing it spitefully um, or that they should be embarrassed about it or anything. It's just, um, it's just odd. Um, Fourth Dauntless says... This only works as a segue if you know that Gandalf has the answers to these questions. I want to know a good deal, especially about Gandalf. Me too. Let's present the proofs of the ring, that this is Sauron's ring. You know, like, let's let Gandalf talk already. And what of Saruman? What is his counsel? Um... If he knows that Gandalf is going to have exactly Bricktails, and someone was asking that before, basically, if Galdor is, Ga- is Gandalf's plant, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Kimber's saying that uh, he thinks that Galdor assumes that Gandalf is entwined with these topics, right? That, uh, that in saying these things, he is providing a slightly more detailed segue, into Gandalf than Frodo's much more general, I want to know a good deal more, especially about Gandalf, right? Um, yeah. Valori, it could well be that he thinks Gandalf is going to deliver a message from Saruman. Oh, man, I'm being bad about this this evening. Um, yeah, he, I mean, yes, he could very well believe or suspect that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it makes perfect sense, Lincoln, for him to be saying, essentially, you went to consult with Saruman recently, didn't you, Gandalf? What does he say? Uh, and for that matter, why isn't he here? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is also true that Gandalf and Saruman, right, would presumably be among the wise, right? That everyone would, would acknowledge that. Um, and so... Uh, um, that would be, this would be another way of, you know, so by saying the wise may have good reason, um, maybe that is also his way of explicitly segueing towards Gandalf. He could have just said, because Elrond has been, as much as anyone's been running the meeting, Elrond has, right? Elrond may have good reason to believe that the halflings, tr- I mean, Elrond was the one who was presenting the early evidence about the identity of the ring, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so by saying the wise in general, right, speaking in the third person plural there, he would be inviting the extension to Gandalf. Tony, Gandalf has spoken up. He's the one who told Frodo to bring the ring out, right? Uh, and then Boromir will see, will find the answer to uh, his riddle, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, Arden Cran, if he says, and what of the blue wizards, why are they not here? I can imagine everyone being like, <laughs> just like bursting into giggles when he says that. Um, but, um, but Jennifer, I think that you're absolutely right. It sounds like while Frodo wanted to hear more about Gandalf, Galdor wanted to hear more from Gandalf. Yes, yes, I agree. And in that way, I do think that Gal. So I don't think that Galdor is being clueless. I don't think this is a segue, which is just not a segue at all. Right? Frodo says, I want to hear about Gandalf, and 
Galdor is like, me too. I want to hear about everything other than Gandalf. Right? I, I, I don't think it's just a non-segue. Um, but I do think what he is doing is broadening on that. Right? I, I don't know. It's not. I don't just want to hear where has Gandalf been the last couple months. Right? What I want to know is, um, I want to hear him explain. I want to hear Gandalf explain. How can we be sure that the ring that Isildur lost is the ring that Bilbo found? And I also want to know where Saruman is. And maybe he's heard that Gandalf has returned from Isengard, right? Um, and so, yes, both of these things would be an explicit, uh, an explicit invitation uh, to, uh, uh, to ask Gandalf. Tessa says, does anyone here even know the Blue Wizards exist? No. And that, of course, includes Tolkien. <laughs> so there we are. Yeah, nobody, nobody knows anything about the Blue Wizards. Um, yeah, no, Druid's Fire, they definitely did not exist at this time. Um, the Blue Wizards don't exist uh, at all until Gandalf makes that comment. Um, when, um, when Gandalf says the rods of the five wizards in his speech to Saruman, Tolkien had no idea who the five wizards were. Um, and at, this, at that point, it's up to him to figure out who the five wizards are, right? That kind of thing happens all the time um, uh, to uh, to Tolkien, right? Uh, when characters open their mouths and say things, and he's like, what does that mean? No idea. I better figure that out, right? Um, and, of course, they're not even mentioned as being blue until later, right? I mean, it's not... That's nowhere in the Lord of the Rings or uh, in The Hobbit. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um that's uh that's the uh the first not only the first reference to it in the text but uh, it would seem the first indicator of them um but um yeah yeah okay um yeah good um No, Fourth Dauntless, I do not believe it's in the appendices. Um, I think that the Blue Wizards are only associated with the color blue in Unfinished Tales. Um, uh, did Peter Jackson get in trouble for that? No, I don't think so. I mean, they'd have to have been feeling really litigious to go after him with that. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> JJ says they'd have had to watch the movies to notice it. Oh, ouch. Um, but anyway, okay. Um, yeah. No, Nathan, I mean, it's clear that there are, there are other wizards. Two other unaccounted for wizards. What is nowhere in the Lord of the Rings is their association with the color blue. That's all. That's all. Um, um, yeah, there's clearly some missing wizards. Um, but anyway, okay. Let us end just by, in thinking about his references to Saruman here. What of Saruman? He is learned in the lore of the rings, yet he is not among us. What is his counsel if he knows the things that we have heard? Let's, can we call in some 
the expert witness here, right? Um, yeah, let's call in the expert witness. Um, and it is this that leads me to believe that Galdor is not a plant, by the way. Um, I don't think he's just been put up to say this by either Gandalf or Elrond. Um, I think that he genuinely wants to know, right? Um, he is an, a reflection of how, like, the elves in general trust Saruman and respect him, right? For his learning and especially... Um, uh, especially for his uh, learning about the rings of power, right? Um, what is his counsel if he knows the things that we have heard? Hmm. But that undermines the idea that he's calling for Gandalf because we were suggesting that when he says, may we not hear the proofs, that that is Galdor's way of saying can we let Gandalf talk already? Right? But I... It seems like what he's saying is, can we not hear the proofs? And, um... Shouldn't Saruman be the one giving us the proofs? Right? I mean, if anybody can connect the dots. Right? We've heard about Bilbo finding the ring and giving it to Frodo, and we've heard what happened to Frodo. We've heard about Isildur losing the ring. Surely, if anybody can connect, can fill in that gap... Right between them, that's been left. The fill in the gap in a way that would prove that the halfling's trove is indeed the great ring of long debate. Then uh, it would be Saruman, right? Why is he not here? What would he say? What does he say? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yet, Nathan, I do agree that having a plant would be a strange rhetorical necessity for Elrond. Yeah, it would. I, no, I mean, that's obviously kind of a joking suggestion, but but yeah, basically, I, I, it's now kind of undermining my convictions that perhaps this was a good segue after all. <laughs> Maybe it's not. <laughs> Maybe, again, back to interpretation A, that when, uh, when, when Frodo uh, says, I still want to know a good deal, especially about Gandalf... Galdor says, I still want to know a good deal too. Less, l less about the Gandalf thing, but the more about the wanting to know things, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. For Thalas, I think it, maybe then we can all agree that it was his, uh, uh, his lack of skill at segues that excluded Galdor from being among the wise in the first place. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Though I guess, yes, Cosmic, you're right. Perhaps we could argue that he is... Uh, it's like he's saying yes and no at the same time, right? So maybe he's good at that. Um, yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, no. So I want to talk about the use of the word trove. But we're out of time. So I'm going to uh, I'm gonna stop here, because if I don't, then we won't ever stop. And it's getting late. Um, and I, I want to try not to keep you guys too late. So we're going to stop there. We shall resume this next time. Um, looking at <clears throat> uh, maybe tidying up one or two things about Galdor's uh, perhaps less than perfectly skillful segue. 
Um, and indeed, I am very interested in the phrase, the halfling's trove, right? Um, but of course, also, we need to, uh, we need to look towards uh, the answer by Elrond, and then, of course, maybe we'll get to the beginning of Gandalf's speech. But my goodness, didn't we do, like, three? Holy cow, we did two and a half. Fully two and a half slides tonight. I feel like I need to mop my brow here for crying out loud. That was the most uh, headlong session we've had in a long time. Um, (laughs) But anyway... (laughs) <laughs> okay. Wow, 336 whole words are in us? How did we do it? Unbelievable. Well, we skipped one or two, I guess. But anyway, okay. So, But I'm going to stop there. Uh, so I'm going to uh, I'm gonna say goodnight uh, to uh, the folks in the town and to the folks on Twitter. Uh, feel free to join us, twitch.tv slash for our field trip as we're going to head back up to Angmar and continue exploring around there in the greater Himbar region. Uh, in uh, uh, in the Lord of the Rings online. So, all right. Thank you, Twitter folks. Oh, hang on. Good evening, everybody. Hey, Valori. Okay. Um. Okay. All right, very good. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Oh, people are porting already, so I guess we're going to Gathforthnir? Gathforthnir, yes. All right. Let us meet Sounds at the good. stable master in front of Gathforthnir. Yep, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wait a bit so you guys can take stables if you need to take stables. Yes. So I want to know, are all elves this passive-aggressive? <laughs> like, I'm not just, you know, I'm not just being cute about it either. I'm just like, is that a typical way for elves to show displeasure? Saying something like, well, I guess I'm not smart enough to believe what seems to me like, you know, a lie. Because <laughs> I'm not as clever as all you guys. You well, know, yeah, it's one of the things that it means to say both no and yes, right? I mean, it's... You know, they're used to conveying their points indirectly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does make you kind of realize why the dwarves think that kind of language is just deceitful in nature. Right, right. Intended um, they had, to deceive. Some, yeah. I get the feeling that while they had the discussion and the people who kept stopping for details with the dwarves, because um, I just uh, heard the Hobbit read out loud this last week but run done by uh, Andy Serkis yes. raising money. So, and I, I recall that constantly the dwarves would interrupt Bilbo and demand more details. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right, it's the roving threats. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Remember those? Yeah, so uh, I, I was not able to tune in to Andy Serkis's reading, um, though I was really glad that it was happening. Um, uh, and it was honestly, like on a different time zone for us Americans. So. Right. Well, and that was okay, but uh, but yeah, I just didn't have the time. Um, 
but uh, maybe it will be a it would be awfully nice if they put that up for sale with the proceeds going to charity as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was a 12-hour marathon, so by the end he was a, a little punch drunk by the end of it. But right. yes, I really hope this does uh, give way to a, an official audiobook recording. Yeah. Because um, I loved his voices. I, I got to tune in about when he did started Mirkwood. Ah. And and I, you know, thanks to Andy, I got to hear what that was lacking in the movie, which was drunk elves. Drunk elves. Like, one yeah. of them act. One of them swore. I'm sitting there going, "Wait a minute, that was a swear word." <laughs> toss pot. Toss pot. Yeah. Toss yeah. pot. That was a particularly dirty word. Yeah. Well, in, when it, it was one of those, it would have been sort of okay for the kids when Tolkien wrote it, but when he was a kid, that was a pretty vulgar swear. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's certainly rude. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, so um, I'm forgetting. Did we decide to go to Imlad Balakorth or going to go down to Barad Gularon first? Uh, we, we tossed out a lot of options. We sure uh, did. Maybe we should go back to Imlad Balakorth. Okay. Yeah, we, oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. We, we did look at a lot of it because we, got a, we discovered that library on the hill that we'd never seen. Exactly. Well, because, I mean, it's seven. There's a lot down there, but we already started that one. So rather than taking on a whole new region, let's 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 go back there. It'll take us a few weeks to do it all. But well, I was surprised tonight. We wanted a fair clip. Yeah. Tonight I have like absolutely five sentences on my write up. Yeah, I was uh, feeling frisky tonight. Am I still headed it's springtime, the, right the only pretty ring time. Okay, there's our little village. Go to the pond and bear left. Alright. It is funny to hear Bilbo act so writerly as well and know like me, myself, and like all of my writer friends were kind of like this, where it's just kind of like yes, yes, pain and suffering, but tell me how did it feel? Use words, lots of words Right, right, right Like, I was I, I, I was thinking about the time that I like injured my um, injured my leg, I, I didn't break it but I darn near almost did, and yeah, I was sitting there waiting for the ambulance so I'm thinking they're going, oh, how? what kind of words would I use to describe this later? Right. Because I'm sure this will be a great passage in the book. Right, right I think it was, was it a leg or was it a root canal? I think it was both, probably. Right, both. Right. But, yeah, so I wonder if some of Bilbo's little sillier foibles with talking about writing constantly, I wonder if he's kind of uh, making fun of himself and his writer chums a bit. Well, I mean, I mean, it is interesting um, the ways in which Bilbo you know, pretty transparently, you know, is his stand-in, right? You know, so especially in the Lord of the Rings phase, right? Yes. With the, you know, the, the poetry business and the, um, the, uh, um, the, him sort of teasing himself uh, with the, his desire about writing poetry, the reception of his poetry by his family, the, um, you know, by his extended family at the party. Um, yeah. Uh, the teasing with uh, Aragorn 
You know, I mean, there's there's there, there's a lot of elements where you can see Bilbo as a kind of stand-in. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, um, so I'm just pausing here as we're entering the valley to look around myself and remember what we were looking at. We've got up on the hill here next to us <clears throat> some old, old monoliths, right, which look back to the very ancient days. We can see far ahead of us some ruins which are clearly older than that. Uh-huh. Let's start up on the hill over here. Um, yeah, if I recall, we see a lot of the same uh, architectural uh, designs and patterns and uh, motifs that we saw in the Barrow Downs. Right, right. Is this the way up? Yeah, this is the no, way up, right? Is it? Oh. If you find a way up. It... Yeah, this is the way up. Or at least a way up. <laughs> Well done, sir. All right. Oh, look, there's a torch up here. An ominous torch. Is it another lich factory? No, no. It's the dwarf camp. There it is, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I want to get my bearings from here. So now, uh, long beards. The arch is very long beardy. Uh-huh. Right. I don't have to see the dwarves. So, but now notice a couple things. First of all, notice that this stone wall has been reinforced by what looks like iron on top of it. Yeah. Well, even the even the name indicates that it's, it's some sort of protection. Uh, Mark worth. Worth meaning like a place that is guarded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or warded. Right. And... Uh, and of oh, course, yeah, I was noticing around the other, on the outside, the spikes on the wall. We didn't see that anywhere in Arid Luin. Nowhere in the no. dwarf domains did we see anything like spikes on the walls like this. Now there were fewer, no. you know, of the Walking Dead in that region. <laughs> yeah, they ain't taking no chances here. Yeah, they've even put spikes along the top of the wall. Not on the very top of the wall, right? They're not trying to keep pigeons off. They're just... From Merivale. Failed right. to take that into account, did you, boys? Some of those spikes are missing. Uh, yeah, it implies they've uh, met their target. Yeah, and there's another one right there that's broken off halfway through. So, yeah, these are these spikes are actually used. They work. Yeah. And then there are, yeah, some of the ones on the top are missing, too. And then there are great bloody gaps in the wall. Like, there's not to mention the huge arches with no gates. So It as, looks like they need to get wagons up here or something. As a defensive fortification, you know, I'm kind of plus minus on their preparations here, but... Um, yeah, and what do they do? Have a door they put in there? It doesn't yeah. look like there's any underground entrances. Like, not that I can see. And what's up with the Stuff. flames? I mean, look at the, like, rainbow effect. What are they yeah, burning? Yeah, what are they burning? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not quite as, like, evil-looking as the flames in the white factories. True. But, but you can see why I, was, I mistook it with the green and purple aspects. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's friendlier rainbow flames instead of the ominous sullen green flames, you know, but, um... Prismatic. 
And there's nothing in here. It implies there's more underground, but where did it come from and where did they lead out? I suppose they have some sort of hidden entrance underground? Yeah, they'd have to. No, there's nothing really up here. And these are just large torch holders, I guess? I guess. It implies that they're uh, on their way to both... Uh, yeah, it implies that they're trying to get to uh, one of the dwarven camps along here. Like, this is the road. It, it looks like this is more like a way station on a road. Yeah, I mean, there is nothing here. There's like two pup tents and that's it. Yeah, they're there's just no goods, protecting, there's no protecting their investments. Yeah. There's See no buildings, the there's say. no doors. I mean, we've got a perfectly is... respectable cliffside, and there's no indication of delvings here. Okay, so here we go. The main route between Karndum and Ranjuath, which leads to the southern lands, bears much of Angmarum traffic. Messengers and patrols move along this path, winding through the haunted ways of Imlad Balkorf. That's the road down there that we're looking at. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps because of the dread of that place, the traffic through Imlad Belkok is lightly guarded. I would ask you to find the Edmarm patrols and messengers and waylay them. So. Right. They're asking me to keep the roads clear of Engmarm spies. Right. Oh boy, we do have some lovely views from up here, though. They're talking about messengers in Angmar, but they're also talking about dwarven communications running through here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess this is the place you take out messengers from the enemy while maintaining a message route yourself. Yes. Yeah, I guess so. Like I mean, and this... this bar or sofa. <laughs> it clearly does overlook the road, right? So that's... It's not that uh -huh. this camp itself is on a road between one place and another place, but... Um, uh, but it's right along next to the road so that the dwarves would yeah. be... Um, the necropolis is almost beautiful up here. Yeah. Okay, so from here we can see straight across, so straight to the west from us, we can see uh -huh. that slightly evil Tudor house on the cliffside that we saw last time. Right, that's where that second cargoal was. Outside of Carndum? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that that's the building we were looking out from over Imlad Belkorth last week. Um, and then from here we can see that two different kinds, different, at least two different layers of archaeology, like two different archaeological layers, right? We've got the larger... Okay. Um, the larger buildings, tombs, uh -huh. and then we've got all these old monoliths. Yeah. Oh, you remember we found uh, dead ruins that looked like this outside of um, Dwelin, Dweeland, as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What was that? Out? That was. Uh, that's. That was near the ward spire. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The dwar the the which was a dwarvish building. It was a dwarvish building, but we found evidence of men as well there too. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, nearby. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Huh. Because okay. we had the whites there and the runes. So it looks like the dwarves travel this road and they've built this little enclave up here as a... So this is basically just like a dwarven camping spot. Slash waste station, yeah. Yeah. Here's a slightly more protected spot uh, where and well lit because of the pervasive... With gloom. station guards, too. Right, exactly. Okay. That makes sense. Should we look around there? Because there are other things up here in the hills, aren't there? Uh, I think so, yeah. We might as well. I know we came in from the other direction. I don't think... Did we look around up here? I don't know. I think the, uh, the, the, necro- the necropolis is about where we left off last time. Yeah, that's where we came in. Down the other way. That's where yeah. we came in before. From the south. Yeah. 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 Um... I don't remember at all. I know there's a thing up here. I yeah, know there's this is, like a there's like a door and a place you can go in. But I oh. don't really have any memory of how you get there. This area so infrequently, I'm not sure I know. We're having an adventure. Oh no, this is just the way around to that road. Yeah, this is yeah. This is the yeah. You have two roads here. You either take the dead road or the full of wargs road. Oh, so this is the road, right? This is the road that heads out to Barad Guleron. This is the yeah. Barad Guleron road, and then this one is the dead road that goes down. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we yeah. came in before. Okay. Well, I wanted to go and look at this arch again, anyway. Yeah. There's the sort of bat-nosed wolf mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. motif that we saw before. And the swirly monoliths like we see in the Barrow Downs. Mm-hmm. So they're evidence of the most ancient human cultures that we've seen any evidence of. This time with decorative gold accents. Yes. Which are pretty much the same. Those like wolf or bat or whatever the faces are there are um, they are so is that a rune? a green rune? on the square on the top of the arch there? Um, looks like someone chopped something over it kind of does it matches this Angmara metal over here. I think yes. I think I seem to think we recalled that these were quiet dead that were disturbed by Angmara because of these new metal right, elements. Right, the new on spikes. Here. Yeah, yeah, which are very much new Angmara. Uh-huh. And it's got look, it's got the Cairo. Yep. Just like the. Just like the bridge by Duoland. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. And the other bridge, and where was it? By the fishing place. Yeah. Um, Noglod. Right. And I, so I was just going to say that um, the 
uh, those wolf heads or whatever they were on that arch up there. Um, uh-huh. Isn't that the same uh, the same general artistic style as tombs that we see that have the Gryffindors? Oh, Gryffindor. Yes, yes. Sorry, yeah. I thought you were getting all Harry Potter on. Yeah, yeah. The tombs where they bury the Gryffindors. Yeah, that's exactly it. Not the tomb where. Well, they given Gryffindor's bury the proclivity Ravenclaw. to run into trouble. Exactly. Very full up tombs. Um, okay. And here's us Ravenclaws examining everything. <laughs> and I know that we've looked at these before. Um, <laughs> this one is really weird really intricate. It's got the same door in there. Lots of patches. Yeah. It's like it kept becoming structurally unsound. They just stuck more bits on it. Yeah, from... Exactly. From a distance, this... This tomb... It's kind of Baroque. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it kind of looks like the... um, It it kind of looks like the place where they stored all the columns, uh, you know... For use in other tombs, basically. Yeah, yeah, the pile of headstones to yeah. come hand you whenever they needed it. Exactly, it almost looks like that. But right, okay, so I remember that we were speculating, based on these initial tombs, that this place was originally a burying ground uh, by the ancestors of the hillmen, who were presumably the same ancestors as the ancestors of the Brelanders, right? Who uh, made their tombs originally in the Barrow Hills before the Dunedain ever came. And so similarly, these ancient tombs were here in this valley from before even the comparatively modern society of the Hillmen. But see, there are the Gryffindors right there. Yeah. Um... And then they, uh, and then they were taken over by the modern Angmar and presumably cursed by them, and that's why we've got all these dead folks walking around, mm-hmm. right? Because that funny little Squidward door in the middle. There. Yes, yes. It's beautiful design elements. Yeah. And we've seen these. So we saw these. This is also very like the ancient tombs that we saw in Dunland and Enidwife. Uh-huh. Um, which were also, of course, full of the walking dead, as yep, tomb places in the game tend to be. Um, and, and people descended from Hillman. And people descended from Hillman. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yes. we... Yeah, see these guys ever... Oh, they put skulls in these ones. Oh, yeah. Decorated with skulls. Though with similar carvings that we see Uh in other places. These are what, like the... um, Sarcophagi. Right. Well, these are like the discount ones, right? Like the low-rent tombs? Compared to the other ones? But uh, it's still better than a hole in the ground. Well, yeah, sure. Better than a hole in the ground, sure. And presumably also better than these freestanding sarcophagi, right? Yes. Which are themselves better than a hole in the ground, but... Um, this one, you get immortality. It's all about being remembered. And, oh, these are the wolf heads that are sticking out, right? Yeah. Look at the fresh oh, blood it's almost on like this. The, yeah, I was going to say, it's got those uh, werewolf attacks streaks all over it. 
Yeah. Yeah, the wolf heads on the end, they almost look like uh, slide a pole in there. Yeah, I was thinking of that, of carrying carrying poles. You probably, like with the little hook that the 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 wolves have under their chins, you could actually, you actually could hook a, a, a bar under their sideways and hold it up. Yeah. Don't know if that would hold the weight of a stone sarcophagus, which would be considerable. No, but it'd get it on a wagon, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. You know if these guys invented the wheel? Um, well, lots of circles in their designs, but... I I figure any place that has a a good, clear amount of land and lots of hills has figured out the wheel. Probably. And I mean, and they did, this stone is not native. I mean, they imported this stone from somewhere. It does not mm-hmm. look like it came from here. I mean, here is all the, you know, the like obsidian walls and stuff. Yeah, you could see the new stone sticking out of the, the native stone. Yeah, yeah, the light gray on the very dark gray. Yeah. Hmm. There's no evidence on the whites themselves. They're just the same fairly gross guys that we saw elsewhere, right? Except they're very brightly colored, these ones. The zombies are much more virulent green and purple. Oh, look at that nice stripy loincloth he's wearing, too. Oh, very fashionable. Yeah. Making a real statement. Must be a brindled warg if it's got <laughs> stripes yeah. on it. Okay, I see where we've looped back around. Great. Uh-huh. Let's go up on the hill over there, the hill that we were looking at from the side when we first came in, which we could see from up on the hill by the dwarves. Uh-huh. We could see all of the steps leading up to it. Are those dogs, are, are those bar guests again? Yes, those are bar guests yeah. again. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and these still look the same. Interesting that we have wooden, a wooden ramp. This looks. I mean, look at how right. Look at how worn down these stairs are. (laughs) I love that detail. Yeah, and the uh, and we've got the the curly Q designs. I mean, Uh this this part of the stairway is ancient. The wooden part is less ancient. So, who built the wooden part? I don't know, but they wanted to put gold on it. So, obviously it was... Uh, I'm going to say those uh, sorcerers, maybe the first go around to the Angmar sorcerers. Right, old Angmar, maybe. maybe. Yeah. What do you it make of this purplish stuff? Is this, is, that, is this like clay? Did they put, did they put some kind of... It's like, plaster. Yeah, cl- it, plaster? Okay. Yeah, it looks like plaster over brick. Okay. Maybe, uh, maybe it needed shoring up, or maybe, yeah, maybe it's not plaster and it's more uh, cement or mortar at this point. Like they're right, maybe repatching some yeah, of these up. That that purple color is very characteristic of this whole bank. So we see it everywhere here. But yeah. other than that, we're seeing similar stuff. I'm not seeing much more of that ang- that new Angmarin metal. Oh, we've got folks jumping out the ground here. Iron-bound archers. So they're iron-bound, thus making explicit what was already implied, implied right? Yeah. Which is that this is an ancient burial ground which predates Angmar by a lot. 
right? But which, being so conveniently near to the center of power of the Witch King, uh, they he has done his thing and uh, put dark spirits, set dark spirits loose around here. Like he it's did just in Just your run-of-the-mill necromancy. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Some people just want to make friends and raise a family. Right. That's what necromancers do? Make friends yeah. and raise the family? Make friends and raise families. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. A lot of these little puddles. These don't look quite like the the alkaline blue that we've seen in other places. No. Flying this is a different kind of muck. Yeah, you're right. Different from not like Malinhad and not even like the green lake right next to Gothfortnir. Mm-hmm. Notice the like weird like metallic sort of ref- reflective quality in the water here. Uh, yeah, it seems kind of slimy. Yeah, something. And then, yeah, like as this Unwholesome. this little spot here suggests, <laughs> this little gas escape. That's an active thing, right? Not it's a. It's like the bog of stench. It is just like the bog of stench. Bog of eternal, eternal stench. That's yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, look! It's one of those little standing sarcophagi. Yeah, I remember. We these saw a guys. bunch of those in Dunland. Uh huh. And this is the these are the ones that we saw in. Arid Lewin that made us go, wait a minute, we've seen these. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Yes. Back in the area in Arid Lewin that made us think that they were probably uh, um, that that the men on their way across the mountains had maybe paused there. Okay, now what's up with the blue? Oh, yeah, I remember hmm. seeing these. It was like special stone, and look, it's got the iron crown on it. Carved right on it, yeah, natively, so yeah. So this is definitely big mugwup here. Right, and this is an altar. So we've got yep. a sacrificial altar next to whatever this is. What even is this? Uh, I can't tell if this is corrosion of the metal or like some sort of in if This is like some sort of stone with like lapis in it. Right, yeah, like Lapis, when you said, I remember we were seeing this up on the hill, right? Like on mm-hmm. the, the city overlooking the cliffs, some of the, some of the stone was in use up there. Mm-hmm. But it clearly is being used by the Angmarim, and I'm going to say old Angmarim, this doesn't look new. Those carvings look pretty fresh. Well, but a little bit worn down, though. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, I mean, they don't look like, I mean, obviously, nothing like these tombstones. Fair. Um, not rounded. Yeah, they're in a like style we haven't stuff, seen. Yeah, yeah. That is unique to this area. I, I, my theory is that those are old Angmar. So huh? the Angmarim came and they built a, you know, some kind of fane, some kind of uh, altar, you know, unholy spot here um, and we see the active bubbling up of something gross uh, underneath the water here as we're continuing I think we're continuing I don't think I've doubled back 
Um, it makes me wonder if it's like a tomb that was meant to be a function of some kind. Like we buried a new person here who is now going to be like the general of all these ghosts. Yeah, I wonder. Ah, see, now this is different and new. Look at this. I haven't studied necromancy, so this is... I'm just spitballing here, honestly. Right. This... Is, that a, is this a door? Or just a plinth? I can't even tell if this arch is... I think it's a plinth. I thought it was a back up. Thing, but yeah, this is definitely... A completely Angmarim construction in all... Oh, oh yeah, I remember seeing this statue. Look at that it statue. It was the hooded woman. Yeah, the hooded woman statue. Yeah. We've seen her. Yeah. Edith says there are little skulls carved into the side. Into the side of what? The tomb thing? The altar thing? Is that supposed to be a Martheal? It doesn't look like the other statues, which I presume, like the one at the gates at the, you know, between the North Downs and Angmar, the... No, no, it's much more simplistic in style, and it's made out of that stone we can't identify. Yeah, with the blue. Mm-hmm. So, Makes you wonder if they have some perception of the Valors, but maybe they get them all wrong. Like maybe this is supposed to be Nienda instead of you know saw you know healing with tears it's grief and awe and and uh, depression or something. I don't know, but I mean, unless they, unless the Angmarim came and just like carved the uh, carved the Iron Crown onto those other structures that we just were seeing by the Bog of Eternal Stench, um, unless they uh, again just like desecrated that altar with the sign of the Iron Crown, then the the structures in this stone, in this blue vein stone, are old Angmarim structures. Uh-huh. Which would mean that this statue would be... Now, this statue stylistically looks like it would fit with the old tombs. Uh-huh. Oh, look, she's it's, holding it's her not, hands it, up. It's a, little more, it's a little more proportional than the the very um, uh, abstract looking... Right, like the sarcophagus guy who's as wide as he is tall? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, uh, Katriana says it almost seems like a sinister version of the Elbereth statues in Rivendell. Yeah, that's yeah. a good... Th- that, that, yeah, that's what made me think of the... Maybe yeah. they have a perception of the Valar with the Numenorean ties, but maybe this is like a twisted version of them. Maybe. Maybe they're aping, just like the evil does. It apes. Maybe. Wait, Edith, the whole side of what building is skulls? This building? Whoa, yeah. Oh, that's metal. Whoa. Yikes. <laughs> See, this is this is the step below the sarcophagus option. And the decoration option. Right. This is the crammed in a wall with your buddies option. Raw, you said this is the real. This is this is the real discount version. This is the budget option. Yeah, I mean, look how much standing water's around here. I think burying in holes is probably not a great idea. No, I think it's probably not a good idea. But 
but see, this is not, though, the same. I mean, structurally, this is not only much newer, but it's totally different from the older tombs. Yeah. This is built within the old Angmarim period. The skull, you know, Castle Grey skull over here. Like, I, I, or Black Skull, I guess, would be more accurate. <laughs> Both of these, right? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Are Angmarim. Uh-huh. It implies there was some great event where they were burying dead so fast they had to stick them in a wall. Or dig up who was on down or there just and replace them. Carve them. I mean, they could just be carved skulls. Ugh, that's no fun. Yeah. Oh, man, look at all the effects. The, back to the ancient tombs. Wait, and who are these guys? These guys are dread mists. I'm not sure I know what that means. What is a dread mist? It's a... Terrible. So it's a terrible dread mist. Whoa. Now that water is green. Yeah, that might be be no touchy water at all. Stay out of the Kool-Aid. Yeah, don't don't drink the lime Kool-Aid. Oh, we've got to get down served. there. Where's this? Okay. Well, we Notice could the... try to hop it. <laughs> yeah, look at all of the lady statues on there. And, oh, they have a whole wall of this blue stuff filled exactly. with skulls. We're, we're, yeah. com- we're combining all the things there, right? you got the blue-veined yeah. stone. You've got the skull wall in behind it. And you've got the lady statues. The people in the blue wall are more important than the people in the black wall. And a big, whole, ginormous modern Angmarim metal spike in the middle. Ah, yeah, yeah. So big I almost missed it. Just mistaking it for a cropping of rock. Yeah, I'm tempted to jump down, but let's try to find a more orderly way in there. Here's another one of these smaller things with the Angmarim's Angmarim stamp on them again. Yeah. It looks like a like an easy bake oven. Like you, you put a body in there and out comes a zombie. Right. Except, you know, normally there's creepy fire associated with that and we don't see any That's of that. That's true. We haven't had any of the, the lich factories with the, yeah. the smokestacks on. Sorry, What's I saw these carvings down here and I was wondering if that those might be skulls. Okay, so this water is so scary it takes your voice away. That's right. how nasty this water is. You just sit there going, oh, 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 Right. And all of these are associated with mists. Well, we're standing in a body of water, so. Right, but I'm. Um, so. Right, the, they look like. The creatures that we met in Gartha Garwin, right? Enslaved, enslaved by the Red Lady. Yes. And so there we were dealing explicitly with water spirits, which had been corrupted and twisted. And so I'm wondering what these guys are. Is there a backstory given to these dread mist things? Can anybody read me know. from like a deed text or a quest text? Anybody who can tell me more Just, about these the, the in-game storyline of these dread mists, I'd be really interested to hear that. There are dread waters around here. It does make me wonder if these, 
It does make me wonder if these statues of the lady are similar to the red lady. Like, maybe this is the blue lady and it's the same thing where well, she's enslaved to these nature spirits. Yeah, I'm still just trying to figure out how that works because... Yeah, see, notice how she is to... backed up yeah. right up against the new Angmarim building. I think the, the blue oh. ladies have to be Angmarim. Yeah. Like, who do we do? They are not, although stylistically they could be, if they were in light gray stone, I might think that they were original from the ancients here. Uh, not enough swirls and stuff. In the right, right. But... And whilst... Like I said, while simplistic, it's proportional and looks accurate, unlike some of the the more stylistic stuff we get right. from the um, Hellman graves. Oh man, I can't keep going down. Where are the stairs? I think we have to go down the big stairs. Alright, so we gotta loop back around? Okay. Yep. Well, it is getting late. It's almost time to let everybody go. We're not gonna be able to finish everything today. Uh... tree. What's in the tree? It's just a uh, dead spot? Fungus or something. But yeah, look, another mockery of the white tree. Yeah. It is interesting that seeing all these places, the only places we've seen white trees are where they've been blighted and dying. Hmm. That's true. A white tree is a bad sign. Uh-huh. So far. Remember on the drive from Pennsylvania, we'd go by and there's this whole forest with just nothing but white dead wood. I kept thinking that's what Farnos looks like. Right. It's grown and green since then, thank goodness. Okay, see, so the one of these is a spiteful fell spirit. And this is an yeah. enraged fell spirit. So presumably it, these fell Implying that they've been are, disturbed. Yeah, they've yeah, been or, disturbed. Or by... imported, right? Like these are the spirits, like these are, you know, who have not yet animated a body or something. You think they brought the water with them or the water part of it? No, I think, well, if I'm understanding properly the implications of the dread mists, it is that... Uh, this was a water-intense place anyway. And just, it's just hence all the corrupted. stone sarcophagi. Hence okay, all so, the different burial modes. Right, so here we are at the base of the big, uh -huh. huge, new Angmarim spike. Oh, dang. Oh, you're right. I didn't even see that. It just looked... Yeah, it just it creeps up on you because it's so huge. Gosh, it? almighty. Yeah, this is exactly like the one they had in um, a numinous. Mm -hmm. There's another one right through here. Uh-huh. It's like a crossbow bolt. Don't touch the Kool-Aid. Will you die? Uh, yeah. You just drop dead instantly if you touch the water? I'm not sure how if there's yes. a time thing. Yeah? yeah. Okay. I'll go with Druid on this one, yes. Okay. Interesting. Anyone want to test it out for us, you know, for science? <laughs> yeah, so these, um, 
Wow, so that was uh, what we were looking at before was not even the most corrupted water around. Nope. Nope. There's worse water than this. Okay. Whoa, so much nasty. That, there we go, two giant white trees again. Yeah. Two giant trees. Now, who are these folks down here? It's, it's fettered spirits sure. and elder fettered spirits. Hey, guys. So these spirits have been chained here somehow? Uh-huh. By what? Well, it's got to be by the will of the Witch King, you'd think. And this you whole island... physical evidence, though. Now, this whole island, all of the kind of inner sanctum here, right, mm-hmm. is uh, all might be those, ancient. Might be those two giant metal edifices are what keeps everything, like, it's some sort of... Yeah, so like spiritual anchors, right? Yeah. Don't go past the, the poles. Right. Right. Once you cross that bridge, my friend. But then there's that wall and all of those lady statues. Uh-huh. With the wall and all the blue wall and all the blue ladies and all mm-hmm. the skulls. It's a whole skull wall, right? Uh-huh. With then the blue wall with more skulls up on top and then mm-hmm. the blue ladies. So this is this pretty much is, right? The corrupted heart of Imlad Balkorth? Yeah, pretty much. I would agree with that. So you have to imagine, oh, look, and we're right underneath that Tudor house up on the hill there. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so... Seemed much less scary up there. Oh, uh, something worth mentioning, too. We do know that the, the Witch King and some of his servants, uh, there's a lady general in their, in their midst as well. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't think there could be. This could be an interpretation of her, right? Amarthio, that would that Amarthia, would be Amarthia, That's right? what it was. Yeah. Yes. I don't Sorry, think I got so. it mixed up with Amalthea from Last Unicorn. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think so. I don't. Again, okay. she looks. To, she's more military. She's the one who's depicted with armor and. Um, well, it's always the color red. So. Yes, and always the color red. Yeah. Uh, just throwing that out there. So it's interesting because this was so. I'm imagining that in the ancient days, right, um, mm-hmm. when this tomb was originally built, it would have been the. Watch out! Watch out! I know. I'm not going to back all the way. <laughs> Quite. Okay. So. Um, that this would have been like perhaps the royal tomb. Right with these uh, enormous ancient trees flanking it, and it set yeah. in a wall, and all this. You know, so that big wall wasn't there, but still, the multiple layers coming down, and this still feels, even without the wall, feels like a kind of holy of holies kind of thing in here, right? The the, uh, the fact it's an island, uh, exactly. These, these bridges were obviously built later, gives it that sort of Avalon feel. Yes. Um, then the old Angmarim built the wall and the statues. Uh-huh. And then the new Angmarim erected the big 
anchor towers. Honking fish hooks, yeah. yeah. Enormous, enormous fish hooks. Um, and, so, and I can only presume that both of them, both the old Angmarim constructions and the new Angmarim fish hooks, have all contributed to the corruption of this place. Yep. And, and the, the tainting of it for evil. Which, as a burial place, it wouldn't necessarily just be. Quite the opposite. I'm also interested in the relatively small amount of dread we have here. I would have expected more. We're only uh, at level we're pretty one high level. Dread. Yeah, I guess so. That might be it. Hmm. Okay. It, I guess it implies that these are ancient spirits, but they're, you know, the ill will they have is maybe manufactured or something. I don't know. Right. Fetter, yeah. Fetter, exactly. Exactly. They're fettered. Yeah. They're. They're. They, these are. These. These spirits are imprisoned. These aren't the. Yeah. These aren't the enraged spirits. These are. These are just sad spirits. Yes. Yes. Exactly. They're pitiable. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Well, like next week we'll continue here in Imlad Balkorth. We'll we'll look for up in the library and stuff. I know there's stuff higher up here that we can find. Yep. Um. I needed to remind myself of the layout here and figure, and I don't just mean the map. I mean the architectural layout and, and what we're seeing around here. But we can we can try to finish up this area next week. All right, now I'll let everybody go. Um, keeping everybody late again. Thanks for joining me. Uh, fun excursion among the dead here in Angmar uh, <laughs> after a uh, fun uh, Hobbit discussion from earlier this evening. Uh, so thanks everybody for joining me and I will see you guys again next Tuesday. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.